Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 24, Rita Skeeter's Scoop. I feel like that's a tongue twister a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We have Anna back with us. Hey everyone. So this is a surprisingly loaded chapter. I think we both had more notes on this chapter than I... Definitely. I got a lot more out of this chapter than I was anticipating. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into the chapter, we have a couple of shout outs. Uh, I just wanted to uh, give a like an international shout out <laughs> of sorts. Shocker for you. I, I know, right? It's so not me. Uh, but we have recent listens from Fiji, the Bahamas, Panama, and Pakistan. Oh, wow. It's crazy, right? It's awesome. So our voices have been heard in all of those places. <laughs> Uh, but we also want to thank our listeners from Belgium, the United Kingdom, Germany, Czech Republic, Canada, and all of the others. But we're getting a lot of listens from those specific countries. So thank you so much uh, for listening. And it's really cool to think that, you know, we're heard. Pretty... That's weird to think. Yeah. If you are listening to this, let us know where you're from. Mm-hmm. Uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, interact with us. That's um, the best. And we love hearing from all of you. Uh, I think you have a special <gasps> shout-out. Guys, 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 I have a shout-out, a personal shout-out. I just want to thank Josh, who is, I'm apparently his favorite guest. I feel so special. So thank you. You're the coolest. We are building up Josh, who's one of my students at the high school that I work with. And uh, it's very great, and we're very thankful for him listening to all the episodes. Clearly As... has great taste. As Anna has built him up, I will surely knock him down. I just recently beat him in a game of one-on-one. Rude. And he had my to, boy. He had to write me uh, a dearest apology <laughs> for slandering my basketball talents that I have now posted in my room for all I mean, to see. Honestly, I think the reason I'm probably his favorite guest is because I yell at you and come at you the most. And I'm quite proud of that, if that is the reason. So That's fair, and you're probably going to do it on this chapter, so... <laughs> We'll see. But thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody around the world for listening. We really, really appreciate it. So getting on to the actual chapter, Rita Skeeter's Scoop. There's a lot that happens. We start off with Ron trying to dodge arguments with Hermione. Uh, learning really quick about when to choose his battles, which is great. Oh, okay. I don't know that he's quite learning anything He's yet. trying. He's trying. I think he's just biting his tongue because he just doesn't want to argue again so quickly. Fair enough. But also, I feel like it's real easy to hate on Ron because, um, I mean, Aaron mentioned a couple of his moments in the past two episodes, which weren't great chapters for Ron, that, you know, sometimes he's... Obviously, he's a little immature, doesn't come across great. And I was just thinking about it. So Ron is the one person of the trio who grew up in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I know, obviously, throughout the book, mudblood is a term that comes up. There's a lot of biases towards muggle-borns. But are they really even more lucky in a way that we don't talk about very much? Because they just come into the wizarding world with a sense of wonder. They don't have built in the biases and the knowledge of the stereotypes and all these things that Ron grew up with. Mm-hmm. And let's be real, we're all human. We all have 
you know, biases and prejudices, whether we try and fight against them or not. But if we were to flip around and, like, follow Hermione around, because I feel like Hermione comes across, like, the strongest of the three of them and, like, her... She Maturity. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, obviously, is just a fact. Right. But if we followed her around the muggle world, muggle world, would she maybe not come across as great as she comes across in her interactions with Ron? I'll go one further. Her being a muggle-born, does she take her muggle-born biases whatever they may be, into the magical world. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Like, does that is that a thing? Uh, so, not that Hopefully. she has any, like, we don't really know. But it's very but... easy for her to say, you know, like, isn't this just more bigotry, all the hatred against werewolves, against giants? Like, whereas Ron, I'm not saying she's wrong, because obviously she's not. But it's easier for her to see that, and like you said, she's coming in with her muggle-born, you know, people being prejudiced against her. I think it's an interesting question. I think Hermione, the way she's written at least, shows you that she is otherworldly mature for her mm -hmm. age. And she even shows that in other ways, like what I just brought up of maybe some of the muggle things that might trickle into the magic world. For instance, like her and Crumb, that's an international combination and muggles might have mm. some border issues or whatever have you yeah. that might cause problems she doesn't seem to have any of that and she's like True. international magical cooperation yay <laughs> you know and that's fine and that's great so i don't know if she, i don't know i mean obviously i don't think hermione's walking around the muggle world with a whole bunch right. of like awfulness right. but it was just the first time i have ever thought about it that way is like if we were to flip it around do you think hers would be superficial like if yes <laughs> <laughs> that's a quick answer <laughs> i didn't even have to give an example but okay <laughs> i mean i think if you were to talk to any female they would have responded just that's fair <laughs> that's totally fair I don't know. We didn't see a whole lot of her, like, judging other people's, like, dresses at the Yule Ball. I guess we didn't spend a whole lot of time because with her. Because they're though. dressed robes. Yeah. It would have been great if she had a snarky like, comment I... about his, like, Ron's dress robes. Oh, uh, that would be funny. <laughs> it would. But... I mean, we find out here that she had to use S Sleek Easy's hair potion. Yes. But she thought it was... The whole bottle, right? Yeah. She thought it was too much work to do like, on an everyday I'm basis. Sure. I know you had a whole lot on Ron. Did you have anything else on the Ron thing? No, that was really it. I mean, it'd be so it'd be so easy to hate Ron if you... Some, he makes some real great, real not great comments. But it's also so easy to love him. I, I mean, so early much. in these books, there's a lot that we've kind of pointed to... Because he was awful to Hermione in book one. Mm -hmm. He was not great towards Lupin at the beginning of book three. Honestly, I think it's just our maturity. We didn't think those things were wrong when we were 13 reading them. Uh, I mean, we didn't think yeah. they were great, but it's not. It's it's hitting different. I think when I read them and I put myself, and I've noticed that difference too, uh, a lot of the takes that I've had on this podcast come because... I didn't, I didn't have those takes when I read these books the first time. Right. Or the third time, or the fifth time. It's now that I'm doing this podcast, and I'm looking at this from, like, an objective third party, yeah. and I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird, or wow, this is really gearing you towards a certain thought. Yeah. 
Whereas where I read them the first couple of times, I'm reading it through Harry's lens. Mm -hmm. So everything I'm interpreting, I'm interpreting like I'm Harry or in that situation. So Ron, you know, being particularly immature at the ages of 11 through 14, I get that because I was a boy from 11 to 14 who like... Because I mean, like, it's so easy for us as 34-year-olds to be like, oh my gosh, Ron, that is rough right there. But like, weren't we all kind of rough at that age? Yes. I said some stuff, did some stuff, not proud of. Absolutely. And now as adults, we're trying to like help the younger kids with like, you shouldn't shouldn't be saying that or you shouldn't be like, come on. Exactly. So, yes, I think it is important. Like we can critique critique and uh, poke a little bit, but yeah, they're they're young kids, which we still have to (laughs) like remember. Um, But anyway... There's a couple other things that happen. I'll get through a couple of them in quick succession, and then we can kind of double back and talk about them. Okay. We have a interim uh, care, of Mag- care of Magical Creatures teacher. Uh, we get a Rita Skeeter article that's inflammatory. Shocking. <laughs> we get a Crumb mention. We get a Lugo Bagman mention, as we get a whole scene in the, the three broomsticks that's just uh, explosive, to say the least. I and then we get a scene at Hagrid's uh, where Albus shows up. So do you want to go back to the Caramagical Creatures and sure. dig into our new, I guess, substitute? Professor Grubbly Plank? Yes. What do you, first of all, students are shocked because mm-hmm. they're coming right out of break. They don't know anything. And then this teacher... I feel this is another circumstance where reading it through Harry's eyes, I'm like, yeah, fire these questions at this new professor. As an adult, I'm like, kid, what are you talking about? (laughs) No, I had the same thought. Like, I remember being so annoyed that she wouldn't give us any information about Hagrid and like, how dare she not tell Harry Hagrid. And then I'm like reading it. I'm like, yeah, no, it's inappropriate for Harry to think that she would tell. Like, it would be bad and inappropriate if she were to tell Harry anything. A hundred percent. If I mean, I would go so far as to say Grubbly Plank is probably the most professional teacher that Hogwarts sees during our tenure of reading. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. Uh, I'd only say that she only gets so much. No, I know. I get that. But in that so much, you're right. I'm just going right. to say, like... <laughs> you're right. It's clearly a good lesson. She keeps her professionalism, like, compared she... to teachers that we see for just as... I mean, like, Pomfrey, Pince, we don't get much time with either of them. Without and I can already tell like, you yeah. that, like, she's more professional than either of them. Uh, I, I like the lesson, the unicorn lesson. Solid. Seems to be age-appropriate. Mm-hmm. I like the description of the unicorn. So white that the snow around it looked gray. Yeah. Golden hooves uh, prefers women. So they take all of the uh, girls in the class up towards the unicorn. But even with that, she still still makes sure that the the boys notices when they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. So shows a really good grasp of the classroom dynamic. She apparently said a few things in this lesson that Hermione didn't even know. And Lord... Yeah, I know. Lord knows she's read all about unicorns, especially with our issues from book one. So, like... (laughs) Do you think Rebley Plank told them that if you drink the blood of a unicorn, you will live a halved life? Uh, A cursed life? I'm gonna say no. (laughs) I'm gonna say she led 
left that out, but I'm not exactly thinking Hermione's vol- volunteering. <laughs> not one of those put her hands up really quick volunteering. That's why I was a weirdo in school. <laughs> no, it's a good lesson. It's a really good lesson, but I agree. Like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, Harry. Yeah. If... if and I have had students try to pry information from oh, like, sure. who, who are you asking me this? Inf- like, no, I'm not giving you anything on this. Get out of here. Josh will know. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought it was a really good lesson. So, uh, it's probably the only paramagical creatures lesson we hear about that I would have wanted to be at, like, learn about. I would have wanted the hippogriff lesson just in, like, my fifth year, <laughs> not, not in my third. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. In this class, we do get some info dropped. Because, obviously, Harry is more distracted on where is Hagrid than mm-hmm. the actual class. Draco picks up on this very astutely. And Are the Slytherins the only students getting the Daily Prophet? <laughs> Apparently. Like, what is that about? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean... I'd assume, uh, I don't know, I would assume I was going to make it a financial thing, like Draco would pay mm. to have the, the profit. Some Draco's pr- father would pay to have the profit. Fair. Um, that is accurate. And most students probably don't care enough. True. I wasn't reading the paper when I was 14. No, I was reading, like, the literal marriage. Do you think it's newspaper. actually... That, well, yeah, I was reading that, too. Um, do you think it's actually just that Lucius sends, like... You know, like, cuts out articles <laughs> that he knows Draco should know about and sends them in the outpost. It's like, here, this will make your life fun for the next couple weeks. Now I'm just imagining... <laughs> now I'm just imagining Lucius sitting at home with scissors and a glue stick. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Making, like, little Harry Potter collages every time. He's <laughs> got a little scrapbook. Do you think if he's cutting out an article, the picture of Harry in the article is, like, looking at the edge, like, concerned? <laughs> like, how does that no, work? I think the picture of Harry is just staring up at him super sullenly and, like, mad. Like, really? Yeah. You're going to do this? I love the idea of Lucius collaging in his, like, spare time. It's great. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Draco pulls out this article from his pocket. And uh, Harry and Ron and all of the Gryffindors, really, because they're all looking right over his shoulder as he's reading this article uh, called Dumbledore's Giant Mistake, which is, honestly, it's a really great title. It'll catch your attention. Yeah, (laughs) It's witty. Uh, But her writing is so evocative. But unless you want to call it her writing or her quills writing. Well, I thought it was... um... I think it was you and Molly talking about her having to suck on it mm-hmm. before, and is like that why it like imbues some of her yeah. personality in the yes. quilt. Yes, I thought that was very. I liked that point. Yeah. So um, basically, saying I think it's more Rita than the quill. Fair enough. I think it's like her personality and what she wants yeah. out of it, but the quill's doing like the wording of it specifically and like making it... He's doing the thesaurus like word choice for her. Fluffing it a little bit to make it sound a little bit snazzier, but yeah. Uh, In the article, I mean, it just rips Hagrid a new one, kind of throws him under the bus for the giantess mother and goes into a little bit of the history about giants and the first Wizarding Mm -hmm. War and how Aurors had to take them down and how that was aggressive and... 
and all that. It also talks about, we get a little bit more on Scroots here. I was going to say, this is actually probably one of her better articles because, I mean, really, it's all true. <laughs> I was going to I was gonna say that like, to the end, but yes. Yeah. Except for a little bit of, like, obviously fluffing it a bit to make it more She's scandalous. She's obviously making you skewed towards right. thinking Hagrid is bad. 100%. Yeah. But I agree. It, yeah. What she actually wrote is not technically false. Yeah. It's just... Putting out an, uh, it's a very clear narrative that she's trying to write about Hagrid, uh, including quotes from students uh, like Draco, which I just find it hilarious that Draco's like sitting down for an interview <laughs> for this whole thing. Before we get too far away from the skirts, yeah, reading sorry. of manticores and fire crabs. Yeah, I don't know why he thought that was a good idea. Even for Hagrid, that yeah. seems like it's just a really bad idea. Yeah, he's just having some fun. He thought he was going to make, like, his own, like, mummy version of a dragon, you know, so he could be a mummy again. Not... Uh, <laughs> did we have fire crabs in the one of the Fantastic Beast movies? Was that yeah, the crab God, dance? Yeah, that was the dance! That was the dance, yes. right? That was the fire yes, crabs? it was. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I was, like, hesitant on what the fire crabs was, but I think that You're right. the crab dance was it. You are correct. Uh, we do learn that his mother's name was Fridwolfa. I'm not sure if that's correct or not. Because he didn't say that in the courtyard. He didn't name her. No, he didn't. Did she actually do, like, real research and track this down? She must have. I mean, I feel like we would know he would have mentioned it at the end of the chapter somehow if that was not correct. She did actual, like, real investigative reporting. Yeah. It's amazing. She is capable of it. I think she found that out. Because obviously Fridwolfa must be... Well, she disappeared, right? Yeah. There's no, like, confirmation that she died. Correct. Hagrid's father is dead. Well, unless there's a birth certificate. Could be a birth certificate, or there could be, like, a Ministry of Magic documentation of, like, giants that actually survived that first Wizarding War. Mm. Or or a document. Giants who had offspring. Something like that. That seems like something the Ministry of Magic would be. There might be some, like, actual documentation on that um, that she could have looked up, I suppose. It's not like, I can't imagine the ministry would take care. I don't, I don't like the idea that that sort of stuff would be public record, though. I don't think they care enough about it. You know what yeah, I mean? but that's what I mean. Like, that's what bothers me. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. But, regardless, uh, we have on record, Fridwolfa is, is the name. F-R-I-D-W-U-L-F-A. It is. It's a really unique name. That'll probably forget uh, soon because my memory. But uh, it's a great trivia Note question. Yourself trivia question yeah, uh-huh. for Dan. Yes, that sadly that will probably get me in <laughs> six months. Uh, so um, yeah, but the the article's really inflammatory. Also, I did like the well, I didn't like it, but it was an interesting pull tying giants with Death Eaters and. And essentially drawing the conclusion that your mom was essentially a in supporter with, of, yeah. And her drawing those two connections, which is a leap, and it's all circumstantial yeah. evidence. But it was a good way to bring Harry back into the conversation. And it was done smoothly. Yeah. And it was done, like, really, really well as yeah. far as the writing goes. True. Um, so there was that interesting bit. So obviously the Gryffindors are not loving that. <laughs> Although Hermione is like, you know, it's a really great lesson. And immediately she realizes that Harry is not about 
to listen to whatever she's going to say next. Oh, Harry, I can just imagine the look on Harry's face. Like, I feel like it's a very me facial expression Harry's got going on. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, she has to walk a very fine line after reading the article. She ends up reading the article herself, too. But she has to walk that fine line of, like, I really like that lesson. Yeah. I really like that teacher. I support Hagrid, but also that was really good. <laughs> like, it's a fine line for her to walk, and she walks it very well, but. Because she's Hermione. Speaking of Hermione, her Yule Ball date got some attention in this chapter. He went for a dip in the lake. Their description of Crumb is the same description we got earlier, except now it's more pronounced because you can, right. like, literally see him because he's not in, like, robes or anything mm -hmm. like that. But they describe him as very skinny, uh, but he must be extremely tough because he's diving into the lake in January in Scotland. Like, this cannot be a very warm lake. No, no, I wouldn't think so. So, uh, the very skinny but very tough kind of imagery behind Crumb. Uh, and Hermione is, like, trying to defend him right off the bat, saying he's really nice. He's, quote, not at all what you'd expect from Durmstrang. Yeah. Which kind of sets me up well for uh, a Crumb conversation. Okay. Because I feel like Crumb, maybe from the movies or from some of the descriptions even here in the books, you get a certain picture that Crumb's a complete jock. In the movies, he's obviously more of a bulky character. Like, oh my gosh, Literally yeah. fitting that, yes. that jock persona even mm -hmm. though here he's very much not that no uh he's borderline unathletic except when he's in the air right so that's one hard difference that i think when you read these books you kind of get a different sense of him it knocked me back when i first read it like well and i almost like obviously the movies didn't have the opportunity to go into backgrounds of characters like the books could but i feel like i like this version of crumb better so like sure. the skinny but tough descriptors the first time where i was kind of like like obviously parallels have been drawn between crumb and harry because they're both great seekers but this description means to me he's kind of physically like harry as well and so i mean we've talked extensively about the reason harry is so skinny is because he was malnourished and mistreated as a child right so then i started thinking well we don't really know much about crumb other than the fact that he is an international quidditch star what is life in Bulgaria for him actually like? That he is skinny but tough. Mm -hmm. So then I did a little mini deep dive into like what the country of Bulgaria might have actually been like in the 90s. Time out. Yes. Are you telling me that you, not me, yes. did a deep dive yes. into a foreign country? Yes. I am thrilled. Uh, yeah, I figured you'd be really proud of me. I am extremely proud. <laughs> I can't wait. What you got? Well, so... What I found out is that Bulgaria, it was originally part of the Ottoman Empire and broke from that. Mm -hmm. It allied with Germany in both of the world wars. Okay. And so after mm. World War II ended, it ended up as part of kind of like the Soviet-led Eastern Bloc. It was socialist. The ruling party was the Communist Party. And that's what the country was until I think it was 1991 that they officially got their democratic constitution type thing in place. Okay, so right so before the... Be like right at the beginning. So that would mean Crumb's childhood, the same time Harry was living 
under cupboard, Crumb was living in a socialist communist state. Soviet-led communist, like. And even today, this was a fun fact, in 2018, Bulgaria was ranked the most corrupt country in the EU. Apparently, widespread corruption is a major socioeconomic issue in the country. Interesting. So I'd like now I'm just like I feel like that puts okay. a different spin on Crumb as well. Is the reason he became such a seeker? Is the reason he keeps going back to Quidditch because that's his way out? Yeah. Did he let Karkaroff bring him to be the participant, and did he want to be put into the Triwizard Tournament because that's another opportunity to put his name out there and get out of well th- that's that situation that's part of the thing i wanted to talk about first of all hi to all of our listeners from bulgaria yeah hi i hope i am accurate <laughs> i'm sorry if i'm not <laughs> let, let us know your thoughts on bulgaria in the harry potter universe but that's a good point and that's part of what makes crumb a very interesting character to me in these books is because you get karkaroff who is pushing him mm-hmm. he's putting him out front Every chance he gets, putting him on a, like a pedestal of sorts, mm-hmm. like, oh, do, do you want extra blankets? Do you want different clothes? Do you want food? Do you want food taken back to the ship? Like, giving him, like, do you want mead back at the ship? And then another student's like, I want mead. He's like, get out of here, <laughs> you know, like, like he puts Crumb on this clearly Above. exalted pedestal. Yeah. And is that because he just has a a natural talent and he's like this prodigy from? His uh, region, I guess. Because yeah. I, I don't think Durmstrang is in Bulgaria. I think it's outside of Bulgaria. Probably, for, I personally think it might be in either the Alps, preferably around Germany. It's either there or it's up. Like, yeah, wherever far it north. is, it's clearly, yeah. Cold. Yeah. That's what, and Hermione even Colder says it here. Colder than swimming in a Scottish lake in January. I get the impression it's like, mountainous mm-hmm. and it's set on a like a mountain peak somewhere remote so i think alps but i don't know not in bulgaria so is he like this child prodigy in his region that he can just put forth and be like see i'm just as good as dumbledore because i have this yeah and then it's like how much of this is crumb mm-hmm. wanting to be put on front street and how much of this is karkaroff just putting him there and him having to like roll with it yeah I think Quidditch is his out, like you said. I th- I'm sure he takes pride in all like his sure. talent, and like he should, Absolutely. obviously. But I don't think he wants to be up on that pedestal that Karkaroff keeps pushing him on. I think he just wants to prove himself. I think it's quite admirable in Crumb's position, because everything we've gotten from Crumb in this book so far, he's been reserved. Mm-hmm. He hasn't wanted any of the attention, similar to Harry. Mm-hmm. So you're drawing Harry parallels like, in how I they grew see up. A, yes, I am like just physical descriptions, like you said, both trying to like avoid the limelight. To me, they're very similar personalities. Yes, and and you know I, I'm seeing it here. And I'm like, for him to be so insanely famous, and him having literal fan clubs following him around the entire school, he seems very like. I don't. I don't want that. I don't yeah. need that. I don't need any special treatment. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything extra that anybody else wouldn't. He doesn't want anything that he hasn't earned, which is a very hairy thing. Right, and I think that gets missed a lot on Crumb. Well, especially the way he's portrayed in the movies. Nothing against the actor. I think that was the decision 
Warner Brothers or whatever producers went with. Sure. I mean, it's not like he's, like, calling for more applause, but the actor does pull off the surly part about him <laughs> quite well. Definitely. That yes, he does that do quite true. well. That is true. Um, but I just think it's an interesting kind of portrayal of... And if, even if you look at the champions, at least right now, without going further down their storylines... Mm -hmm. You look at Harry, Crumb, and Cedric, and their three defining characteristics are like, you know, I'm not cool with all of the pomp and circumstance. I just yeah. want to go do my thing. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting. And Floor, as far as we know, gets a lot of attention on her. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she's necessarily like seeking that out. It's just part of her vibe, too. I think she... People, I think, put that onto her. Like, I think fandom thinks of Flora as one who's, like, attention-seeking. But I think mm -hmm. that's more... Uh, like, basically, I agree with you. I think she's just... She accepts it better than the three boys. Yeah. Like, she's fine with, like, boys fawning over her because she can, like, recognize she's beautiful. To me, she's just a very mature, powerful young lady. But she's not, like, going and seeking it out, no. I just... I guess the scene that always comes back to me is like when Harry walks in that room for the first time after his name was mm -hmm. called and they're just all sitting there like just chill. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, yeah, we're put in the limelight again and, you know, whatever. It's fine. We'll yeah. just roll with it. And they're just very chill. All of them are like, okay, here we are again. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Like, granted, they're all older and they have dealt with it probably longer. They knew there was a possibility like they actually right. put their names into the goblet of fire so do you think how much of it was karkaroff wanting crumb specifically in the tournament and how much do you think crumb really wanted to volunteer for it i think karkaroff really like in karkaroff's mind he was making sure crumb was in the tournament mm-hmm and I think Crumb knows that. Like, I think Crumb is completely and totally aware of what Karkaroff is and how Karkaroff sees him as, like, his big show-off meal ticket. And I think Crumb puts up with it because he wanted to participate in the Triwizard Tournament. and he, But he wants to earn it. Like, again, I think he sees it as an opportunity to just continue bettering himself. I think I mean, it's a thousand galleon prize money. Sure. And it's, let's be real, if you're putting your name in, you know there's danger, too. Like, you better right. be committed to this. Otherwise, it's a and problem. And you have to have a bit of a love for adrenaline to be a Quidditch star, Which I think he does. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think he definitely has that. So I think he just puts up and allows Karkaroff to think whatever he wants, and he just goes about doing his own thing that he wants to do, and lets Karkaroff do his thing, because right now, their end goal is pretty much the same. So that last line that I mentioned from Hermione about not at all what you'd expect from a Durmstrang. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think what we've talked about with Crumb fits. And I think... And we could talk about it, how it fits even more in the spoiler section, probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we can get back to that in the spoiler section. But I just love that idea that Crumb almost wants to take a step away from Karkaroff and be like, mm -hmm. I'm not that. Because I again, I think he sees Karkaroff for everything that Karkaroff is yeah speaking about someone presenting himself as one thing and might not be that uh let's step into the three broomsticks ah okay <laughs> and 
Um, on a Hogsmeade trip. You were wondering where I was going with that and then clicked. Yes, very much. I know exactly where you're going with that. All right. Um, so Harry sees a ministry official having a conversation with some goblins in the corner, in a shadowy corner, which is always a good sign. Yeah, that's totally legit. And that ministry official is Ludo Bagman. So uh, Bagman sees Harry and that's his out of the conversation with the goblins. And he has a very interesting conversation with Harry. He, <laughs> you can have your mention. You Bertha! Bertha Jorkins is mentioned. And Ludo says he's finally actually sent people out to search for her. No, he doesn't say finally. Harry has the mental thought of finally. <laughs> oh, well, right. right. <laughs> he mentions he's sent people yeah. out. And yes, Harry has the finally uh, thought. Uh, we get a little Bertha Jorkins timeline as to what she was doing. Because she's important. We can get to that later. Uh, yes. This, this might be it, guys. <laughs> this might be Anna's big Bertha Jorkins moment. It's my time to shine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we get the Bertha Jorkins mention. We get a little discussion there. And then we also get that Barty Crouch um, Sr. has not been showing up for work at the ministry. And he's been sending instructions in by Owl. Uh, to Percy Weatherby. Oh. Yeah. Um, I think Percy. the owl gets confused if it's like to Percy Weatherby and then the owl's like, <laughs> where the heck is this guy? Not if it's Crouch's owl. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so um, we also get a discussion. Ludo tries very hard to give Harry any help he possibly can on this tournament. And Harry's like, this just seems... Different from getting help from, like... I have the exact line. He says accepting his assistance would feel somehow much more like cheating than asking advice from Ron, Hermione, or Sirius. I agree. I, I agree. I well. feel like that would pretty strictly fall under, like, egregious cheating. Oh, yeah, obviously. Considering it's the minister cheating, of sport yeah. and games. He's a judge in the tournament. <laughs> right. Yeah. Seems like that would be a problem. Um, I would also just like to take this opportunity that I've been having a real issue with everybody who's been saying that Cedric isn't getting help from any of his friends. Like, what friends don't help their friend who's in a life-dangering tournament? And also, the Puff is not the only one with integrity. Harry didn't cheat. I think his friends would offer help. I think and it's... I think Cedric accepted. I, Cedric I... is practicing with his friends the same. He was working with his friends practicing transforming the rock into Molly's sure. beloved Odin. <laughs> the same as Harry was working with no, Hermione. I, no, to I'll, get give I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll give you that. Sure. I I think if and I this is probably me projecting against Hufflepuffs more than helping the other Hufflepuff, but I I'm Cedric and I, if he is the best in his year because he's the true the Hogwarts chosen, champion. Yeah. So I mean, by definition, he would be the best of that. So I see his friends, like, offering help, and like, oh, here's my, you know, two cents or whatever, and I can see him just going, okay, <laughs> like, that, well, that's bad nice. help, yeah. Like, like listening to it, yeah. but like, mm, I don't know if I'm ever really going to use that, but thanks, bud. You know, well, I don't know. Yeah, but that's just probably because he's being given Like, if Hermione was the champion, advice. and Ron's giving her advice on, like... Okay, but that's two different things. That's not the argument you've been making. I'm past episode. I'm just saying, like he'd be like, "Oh, that's a really good idea." But bad advice. I'm just saying. Um, 
But speaking of that, uh, Ludo's like, well, I'd really love to have a Hogwarts champion. And then Harry's like, mm. well, have you given Cedric any advice? And he's like, you go, Harry. No. <laughs> no, I haven't given him advice. Well, then, no, I'm not taking your advice. So, uh, which, I, I mean, that's an important thing for, for two reasons. A, um, the idea that Cedric's not getting help yeah. from at least upper level yeah. people. But B, Ludo clearly, clearly has something on the side here. Oh, yeah. For... But also, see, I think it, ta- it does say something about Harry that he even had the thought of, like, well, are you offering the other Hogwarts champion help if that's your... That's an adult answer. Yeah. That's a very much an adult answer when you're a 14-year-old kid. That, exactly. That's, like, one of those... It speaks to his character. Yes. And I think that is one of the shining examples. Yeah. Him making a mature, reasonable statement back to uh, an adult who's... That, that'd be hard for 14, having, like, the person who's running this event. Ron would not have asked that question. No, I don't think a lot of people would. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I don't think most would. No, so, you're right. So, I, I mean, that's high level from, from Harry. We, we go from that highly charged scene... To Ludo using that as an excuse to just walk away from the goblins. Yeah, it was pretty smooth. It was very smooth. It didn't work the, for him. No, not at all. But it was smooth. He's a very slick guy because then Rita Skeeter walks into the three broomsticks talking about just seeing Ludo walking by with goblins. Can I just point out that her photographer's name is Bozo? All I could think about was Bozo Buckets, which no oh, one outside exactly. of Chicago is probably going to understand. That's a Chicago thing? I think it was, because with the WGN, oh. like, well, I guess you could have seen it outside of Chicago. I WGN. hope so. Let us know. Does anybody yeah. know Bozo Buckets outside of Chicago? I don't know. Twitter poll. Did, did, <laughs> that would be a random Twitter poll. <laughs> did you ever go? No. See, I went Bozo once. scared me. I liked Bozo Buckets, but Bozo himself scared me. Yeah, that's that's yeah. totally fair. You uh, went? I actually went to a, a actual show. Yeah, me and my cousins. Can I look you up and find you on TV? You probably could, yeah. No, I was there. I was, yeah. Don't worry, guys. When I find it, I'll post it to the Instagram. If you could find it, I'd be real impressed. <laughs> that's like digging through some archives. Anyway, nope, sidetrack. Yes. Wow, we got a uh, very big tangent. Um, yeah, so... Yes, Rita and her photographer Bozo walk into this uh, three broomsticks talking about passing Ludo on the street and uh, starting to come up with the beginnings of an article about goblins following him and such. They just need to find a story to fit it. Just need to find a story. A great journalist. Oh, fantastic. Well, she alludes a little later that she's got a bunch of stuff on Ludo. She's just waiting for like the right moment to let that one fly. True. Uh, But the trio... Conf- well, really, the duo. It's really Harry and Hermione that actually yeah. confront Rita. Because Ron's like, don't do this. Don't do it. Yeah. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, but Harry starts off and goes off on her. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the three broomsticks, everyone's eyes are on this situation yeah. because this is a big deal. It's Harry Potter. And I guess the predominant author of the day who's... It goes after everyone. I think everybody knows not to get on her radar. Yeah. So it's a big deal. And Ron, after this whole thing blows over, is like, that was a mistake. Like, she's she's already come after Harry. She's already come after Hagrid. She's going to come after you next, Hermione. And Hermione is like, bowing revenge. Silly little girl, am I? 
I love that Harry compares it. The only comparison, the only time he's ever seen her this mad is the cockroach moment when she hits Malfoy. Yeah. And I would just like to point out both of those instances are her getting mad at somebody bad-mouthing Hagrid. That's true. Which is interesting because she's had some interesting thoughts on Hagrid in this chapter. Right. It's a really interesting kind of loop that she's in. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever doubting that she loves Hagrid. No, no, of course not. But I'm just saying, like, she comes to Ron's defense, she comes to Harry's defense, but it's only Hagrid that I can think of that she gets this worked out coming to their defense. I think Hagrid is this character. I mean, it's obvious with Harry, but I think it's true, too, with Ron and Hermione. Like, the joke kind of is, I think the joke is in the movie, too, when they're in the... Uh, Forbidden Forest, randomly. I don't know why. It's an extra scene. But they're just calling themselves, like, misfits. Oh, yeah. I liked that. I'm not usually a big one for, like, the added-in scenes mm-hmm. in the movies, but that was a nice... And then they start singing the school theme, which Hogwarts, is... Hogwarts, Hogwarts, right. Hogwarts, But, um, also, if you think about it, Hagrid was all she had in third year. Yeah. So they clearly grew very, very close. Yeah. And and Hagrid would come to her defense a lot. Like, guys, you have no idea what she's going through. You I really wonder need if to... that bond is even really more special for the two of them than the Hagrid-Harry bond. But we just don't get oh, it front and center as much. Because, like you point out, the series is from Harry's point of view. Well, I mean, <laughs> you see it come back around now because when they go to Hagrid's toward the end of this chapter, who's the one banging on yep. the door saying, like, we don't care? Mm-hmm. It's Hermione. Yep. And Hermione's, like, leading this chart, like, literally. I mean, she is bolting. I, I can just picture the hair. <laughs> right. It's flowing. So uh, she, she leads them there, and it's Albus Tumbledore opening the door, which <laughs> that stopped her in her tracks. And then... Albus turns to Hagrid, who's, like, in a real state at the table. Yeah. It's so sad. And Albus is like, this is literally what I've been telling you. Mm-hmm. Like, I have gotten letters from parents. Oh, the letters from the parents almost brought tears to my eyes. That was such a nice moment. Uh, working at a school, letters from parents are almost never a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there have been letters that were not positive in, in Hagrid's, you know, uh, on Hagrid's side, but... Albus is like, no, there's a lot of parents that remember you from their time here that's like, no, 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 he's great. Like, this is ridiculous. And then Albus is kind of sharp at points. And like, if you're looking for universal love... I liked that line. It's You're going to be in here forever because I get like a letter every single day saying I should stop this or do this or fire Trelawney or fire you or fire, like, whatever, fire myself, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, if I listened to, you know, every single negative letter, I'd never leave my office. And it's it's really, it's this whole conversation's really uh, introspective on self-acceptance, mm-hmm. which I think is really deep. Um, I Also, I had to quote this directly. I don't know if you took this quote right out of the book, but I loved it. Uh, Harry says, we don't care what, uh, this is paraphrasing, Harry says, we don't care what that cow has to say or something like oh, that. And Hagrid, oh yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry, Professor. And Dumbledore goes, quote, I have gone temporarily deaf and haven't any idea what you said. 
What a great thing from from it's such Elvis. A dumb it's thing to say. so good. Yeah. I have gone temporarily deaf and haven't any idea what you said. I, this whole scene, I feel like Dumbledore, you know, rightly so, gets a lot of flack from the fandom for, and we've given him his share of flack for like choices oh, he's made. A lot of different things. Yeah, how Hogwarts is run, but this right here like brings you back to like the main point of like why Dumbledore is so lovable. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it endears you pretty pretty hard to the character of Ellis Dumbledore. But these are the quotes that that get you. Mm-hmm. He also says, "Is this the first time we hear that he has a brother?" I can't remember any time earlier that he says he has a brother. I'm not sure. But he mentions that his brother Aberforth <laughs> had inappropriate charms on a goat. And he's, quote, not entirely sure that he can read the articles about him anyway. That was just a brotherly snark. That was ridiculous. It was Jude Law Dumbledore. That was! It was totally Jude Law Dumbledore. 100%. (laughs) I I can't see Richard Harris having that quote. Well, I I take that back. I can see Richard Harris. I can't see Richard Harris's Dumbledore doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Because Richard Harris was a character. You should see him behind the scenes. Uh, Great stuff. Anyway. So I think the whole thing is a uh, commentary on, like, self-acceptance really quick. Yeah. And... When Hagrid starts encouraging Harry to, like, win the tournament and, like, show the world that, like, you don't have to be the period of blood, that, like, you can do it, you did it. it. Yeah, like you said, it was just a really beautiful, lovely moment about self-acceptance and... Well, we talked about Crumb and Harry having similarities. Hagrid brings up a bunch of similarities yeah. between him and Harry, which yeah. was... I think a really meaningful uh, kind of moment between mm-hmm. them, which was good. So, so there's all of that, <laughs> and after Hagrid gets done with uh, telling him that like uh, roundabout pep talk of like you need to go win this because uh, I want you to win it so bad, he's like, shoot, uh, <laughs> I really need to think about this egg. <laughs> Who he's been lying to everyone about. Well, he even says lying to Hagrid hit different. And so now he's willing to put aside his pride. He's lied to three people in this chapter at the beginning, middle, and end. (laughs) He's the biggest lie to Hagrid, too. It starts off with Hermione, like, I think I'm getting there. I think I'm doing okay. Little Bagman, yeah, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Hagrid, I'm doing great. (laughs) Great, Hagrid. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, all right, I should probably try Cedric's hint. Because he's been specifically ignoring it this entire time because it's Cedric. I would do that if I were Harry. Like, that that's just my personality. I can <sighs> okay. feel myself do that. I would like to sit now, I would be mature enough to take the hint. And I was 14 and I Eventually, saw the guy. I would get there. I, I, I would get here quicker than he did. But... No, I think I would have. But I do understand his purview of, oh, he's dating the girl that I like. Forget him. <laughs> like, I get, I understand it. I would have still... Man, this is life or death tournament. Like, figure this stuff five out. weeks. It's fine. He had, like, three months. <laughs> this is a, like, what if Hermione was right and this took, like, weeks yeah, to figure out? Not much time. It's fine. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, so he's now renewing his effort to go uh, and try Cedric's hint and see if he can figure it out. That ends the chapter, and we are going to get to the spoiler section where we got a bunch going on. So we'll be right back here with the spoiler section. Kill the stag! Avada 
All right, so we're back with the spoiler section of chapter 24, Rita Skeeter's Scoop. So, we did have a Crumb thing to bring up. Obviously, Crumb goes beyond book four, and we do see him again in book seven. And so he's had a little bit more of a character arc, totally. Um, and obviously, I brought up in one of our Quidditch World Cup chapters that he ends up winning a Quidditch World Cup later on in his Quidditch career. Um, but... He, there's something different, and this is, I guess, kind of what I was somewhat alluding to as well in my non-spoiler thoughts, was there's something different about Crumb as a Durmstrang student mm -hmm. and a Durmstrang regional, whatever, resident, than maybe some most in his, in his party or in his group. And he's talked about, other people have talked about, and him have talked about dark magic being like, uh, cloud over Durmstrang, and obviously his headmaster is a former Death Eater. Mm -hmm. So there's that cloud hanging over him, and he seems to have miraculously gotten away from that. Yep. And with your non-spoiler delve into Bulgaria, uh, I wanted to ask you, and I'm just coming up with this question now, so apologies. Okay. But... With your allusions to World War One and World War Two, Bulgaria, mm -hmm. and we know that World War One and World War Two is kind of alluded to in the Grindelwald yep. and First Wizarding War kind of mashups, give or take. Do you think Bulgaria is struggling from some of the the Wizarding Wars that have happened, and he's yeah. grown up in a world where dark wizards did a lot of damage? I do, and he's rebuffing. That him personally. And that's why, that was kind of where my mind was going with his, my saying I see a lot of similarities between him and Harry in those formative years is, I think, I mean, who knows for all we know, I mean, how many men in that region avoided having to fight in the world wars? Maybe. He too, like Harry grew up without parents. Maybe he grew up without a father, at least, who mm -hmm. maybe had to fight in the war. Like you said, all the dark magic in the seventh book, since we're in the spoiler section, he is the one who tells Harry about that being Grindelwald's symbol. We know it's not just Grindelwald's, but right. that's how he thinks of it. So clearly he's had, he's been affected by Grindelwald and dark magic. And so... Yeah, I think, and that's why I was kind of saying in the spoiler, non-spoiler section, maybe he uses Quidditch and the tournament as his opportunity to remove himself from this environment that, just like the Dursleys caused Harry so much pain, physical, mental, all of it, maybe it caused Crumb that same pain. And Harry's way out was just getting his wizarding level, wizarding letter, and getting him out of the Dursleys' home. Crumb found Quidditch to get him out of a potential, who knows, environment in his home country. Yeah. I. My point in all of this is, as we've stated on many different occasions on this podcast, like, there's more to this character than just the cursory glance. Like, I think there's a lot going on with Crumb yeah. that never really ever gets talked about. Which, of course, because he's such a side character. Like, us delving this deeply into him. <laughs> right. Who knows if J.K. delves this deeply into him. But especially, like you said, now with all of 
that era's wars being brought into focus in the Fantastic Beast movie, you just kind of wonder, like, the number of people it had to have affected in all of Europe. It's... And we've kind of talked about, like, well, how big is Voldy's reach? Like, is he just a United Kingdom and Ireland he thing? he is. I think he is. Versus, now, Grindelwald, if you're going from the Fantastic Beasts movies alone, he clearly was a global force because... Right. North America was talking about him. South America was talking about him. He presented himself in a global way because he was literally, I think, wasn't he running for, like, the yes, head he of was, the wizarding? Yes. Like, yes. So, uh, yeah, he was, a, well, this, I guess, recontextualizes if we think about it. Because we talked about what's more dangerous, like Grindelwald or Voldy. There's a lot to crumb. And there's yes. a lot yeah. to... A bunch of these characters, and we're trying to highlight as much of it as we possibly can. And you should can. probably cut me off, because I could talk about World War II all night. Uh, she is a history buff, so... <laughs> you did like my Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> poll. Did, Not that yes. that was World War II, but... Very yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, this is a chance for you. Are you ready to talk some, some Bertha Jorkins? <sighs> I don't know. Are you ready for okay. me to talk some Bertha so Jorkins? Let so me, let me prep this conversation a little bit. I'm a little nervous because he's like kind of talked me up a bit with this. So, back in the day, this was pre-pandemic mm -hmm. uh, by a couple of years even. I was gonna say it's a long been time. A minute. I don't know if you still have the brackets I do, somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, but Anna and I decided to do brackets. It was around this time. It was around March Madness mm -hmm. here in the United States, college basketball, and I love me some brackets. So uh, we decided to do a Harry Potter style bracket where. We the criteria for it was based. If I'm incorrect, correct me. But it was based on importance in the series. Correct. Uh, so we came up with 64 characters, and we agreed on the 64. Uh, and you did fight for Bertha Jorkins to be on this I list. I fought so hard. Yes. So hard. So she got Bertha on the list, and then then the bracket, and we made the bracket. We never, we still haven't We still haven't finished it. it. We finished like one little corner. We finished one corner, which Bertha happened to be in. Yes. And you had her going, I think this is what I took exception to, is you had her going fairly deep into this thing over some other characters that were pretty big rollers in this whole thing, you know? High rollers. So that's the prelude. And now I present Anna. <laughs> <laughs> it all starts, she is first mentioned. In the very first chapter of Riddle House. Yes. And Pettigrew is trying to tell Voldemort that he is worried that her murder could have far-reaching ripples. And, like, what if people start coming to look for her and this and that. And I think Pettigrew is right to be worried about that. Voldemort himself even says he does not deny that her information was invaluable. Quote, without it, I could never have formed our plan. Literally page 11 of this book. All right, that's how early we're talking about Bertha being important. Well, yeah, I mean, she's not, to your point, she's not just a witch. She's a witch that works in this specific part yeah, of the ministry. Exactly. Without her, Voldemort does not find out about the Triwizard Tournament. Correct. He doesn't find out that Moody's going to be a professor at Hogwarts for the year. She's the one who tells him about that. And he does not find out. Our number one favorite character of the novel, Barty Crouch Jr., is alive and still loyal. Without those things, maybe Voldemort doesn't 
he fully says he could never have formed his plan. Maybe he doesn't come back the way that he comes back at the end of this book. And if he doesn't come back with Harry in the cemetery using flesh, blood, and bone, does Harry survive the Horcrux being destroyed? There's that whole, and then, or you could even go a whole nother route. What if after all of Voldemort's like delving for information, all that stuff, what if she escapes and warns everyone? And again, then Voldemort does not come back in, the, in this particular manner. Um, I could completely change the whole route of the series we know and love. I will say that they did luck out on the type of individual that Bertha is. Obviously. Uh, because it's serious. It's all very fortuitous. Yeah, Sirius puts it as she's a bad combination of, like, knowledgeable but stupid. Like, she knows things, but she's really an I idiot. I get the impression she's kind of a dance. Yeah. Yeah. So, they got lucky because even if she gets away somehow, some way, I, like, Wormtail screws up. Like, I don't know how much damage she can really do because clearly... She personally can do, but people can just continue delving into her mind. Yeah, I mean, it's not like... Ludo Bagman or anyone really at the ministry seems to care all that much know, about Bertha Jorkins. So. But that doesn't mean she's not important. They should care. Because again, yeah. literally without her, the rest of this book does not happen. Well, the great thing about Voldy is he's working completely in the shadows. Like he's working, his plan is so like dark ops. <laughs> Right, but the, yeah, they're not even considering that. Centers around Crouch. And without Bertha, Crouch continues to just stay under the care of Winky. Yeah. No dustbins for you to make fun of. <laughs> I concede her importance in the series. More important than Dolohov, who literally the only thing we know about him is that he kills Remus and Tonks, which is, I'm not saying that that's not I mean, that a heartbreaker. I know, but Remus and Tonks dying does not have an effect on anything to do we, with Voldemort. We gotta pull out this bracket of yours at some point. We've... And A, finish them. But B, like, <laughs> kind of look over the Bertha Jorkins trajectory in these brackets and see where she is. I mean, up. she didn't make it far. You saying that this might have rewritten the books as we know it, have things gone a little bit differently? Mm hmm. Uh, brings into question a couple of things that Aaron and I talked about recently, and this kind of gets into your patented <laughs> Anna rebuttal section. Oh, yay. Um, but one of the thoughts that uh, we talked about was, could Harry have died naturally? Because he's, oh, he's yeah. a horcrux. That was an interesting conversation you guys had. I agree with you. Obviously, the Basilisk could have killed him. Right. So the thought I had as I was listening to you guys talk about it, at first I was like, oh my goodness, I wonder if he could have. But then I was brought back to interaction between Snivellus and Harry, <laughs> talking about Inferi. And I had the thought that maybe Harry's essence could die, but that the Horcrux would keep his body at least animated. Okay, so you are going with our Walking Dead Harry yes, Potter example. Yeah, I, yeah, yes, I am. As jacked up as that sounds, and he would not be transparent. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, wow. 
we have another vote for Walking Dead Harry Potter. Yeah, I think so. Wouldn't that be a crazy multiversal thing? <laughs> I, I need to be part of whatever creative team at Warner Brothers. And we could start coming up with the multiverse of Harry Potter. <laughs> so that's what I'm now imagining. I like it. Well, Harry is a zombie <laughs> image. Well, there you go. I mean, I thought that was a very interesting thought uh, that it I, was an interesting I hadn't thought. thought of before. Anything else you got from some of those other episodes, errands or otherwise? Um. Well, if we're keeping going with Aaron's episodes, um, his unexpected task episode was the only thing in my rebuttal section that I kind of took issues with a few things he said. Okay. And to me, like, they were two separate conversations, but in my mind, they were kind of, like, leading to the similar points. Mm. And the one was talking about Jenny. He kept saying that, like, he didn't understand why Jenny didn't, like, hang around Ron as much as she possibly could, so that she was just, like, there for Harry to ask to the Yule Ball. Because, you know, that's all women do. So all we have time for is to sit around and wait for that man to ask us to the ball. Um, and then he also was talking about Floor and Cedric were talking when Ron, you know, had his shouting moment. And you guys were talking about, like, was Floor trying to get Cedric to ask her to the fuel, Yule Ball? And I just was kind of getting some not great vibes from those those um talks being being had yeah um, had i been on the episode i would have poked at him a little bit fair enough i like uh i agree with the the Ginny thing um Wait, to your credit you you brought it up thank, thank you. you um i i get his point in that obviously she has a crush on harry right so i mean the idea of her being like oh, maybe this is my shot and like he said the in with you know, my brother is his best friend. Like, maybe I have a shot here. I get that. But, you know, we don't see her for large chunks of this series. She's We're, out there living her life. Right, because she's having her own experience through, which would be, and I'm sure it's done a thousand times over, but like a Ginny uh, fan fiction of just, it's her through the books. I'm sure it's been done I'm sure, yeah. a thousand. It's probably great. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you. Also... You know, it seems like Neville was on his game here. Neville he, was so on I'm so proud of Neville. Because he goes, he asks Hermione, he recognizes that Hermione, in fact, is a girl. <laughs> so that's a start. And then goes to Ginny. Well, and the reasons he had for asking Adorable. Hermione were so sweet. Yeah. Oh, Neville. No, uh, Neville was great. So Neville was on the ball. Um, but to your other point, I don't know if... Floor was turning on the charm, quote unquote, to ask Cedric. I do think let's uh, and this you're gonna come at me with like this is Cedric bias. It's not. It's just a fact. Who would be a better date, Cedric Diggory or Roger Davies? <laughs> like, I don't know. Roger Davies I don't and that know you'll much about Roger Davies. He's a Ravenclaw. He can't be an idiot. He was rough in that Yule Ball chapter of like fawning, open mouth gawking at her the entire time and to be fair like i just don't know where this came from like a young man and young lady are having a conversation so the only possible okay i'll give you that to yeah, be drawn no, I'll give you is that. that it's a hope for like i just have never before gotten these vibes between cedric and floor well i've never gotten them either i think floor would 
think Cedric would be a worthy date to have in that he's also a champion. He's And he's not fawning over her, which maybe for her would be refreshing. Exactly. I Same think as probably for Bill. Exactly. That's the point, I think, is that, oh, you're not coming after me? Like, But maybe that's even more of a point that she probably doesn't have very many male friends because they're always fawning over her. Probably. So maybe it's kind of like a weight off of her shoulders to just be able to have... A guy to talk to that's not going to like be after her for a date. some guy or... perspective without it having to be romantic. Sure. I mean... And, you know, you could say the same thing about Crumb. Too. So, okay. So we had this, like, Crumb-Harry uh, connection. And we've talked about the three boys, specifically. The three boys mm-hmm. not really being affected by the whole, like, pomp and circumstance of this whole thing. And they're also, if you look at the three boys, they're not really, like, knocked head over heels for floor. Like, none of right. them. Right. Yeah. Like, it's interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? A little bit. And I think it speaks to the character of all three of them that, like, they're not, uh, I guess it speaks to the strength of their will that none of the three are, like, stricken by the villainess of Floor. I think what's nice about the three of them that speaks to their characters is that they see that she's more than the Vila in her. Like, I think it's in Half-Blood Prince. An excess of phlegm. I think Ginny and Hermione are kind of like complaining about her a little bit. Sure. And Harry makes a point of like her having to do all the different magic and the tasks for like clearly there's more to her sure. than that. And he shuts the conversation down real quickly because I think it gets glare from Ginny. <laughs> but um, like I think that's basically what all three of Cedric Crumb and Harry see is that like. There's more to floor than I think the beauty. I think Crumb and Cedric, as the other two true champions, know that like okay, if well clearly Crumb and Floor kept a relationship going since right. he was invited to the wedding. Right, and it's like okay, she's a champion. She's a true champion. She's supposed to be here. If she's supposed to be here, she must have some innate. They don't treat her like the token right. female. And I think on our poll that we had, a lot of people gave Floor a lot of credit um, as, you know, their favorite champion or whatever. And I wonder how much of that is based on this book or how much of it's based on later stuff. She's Uh, got some great moments in later stuff. Yeah. Uh, She has some good moments in this one with her little Later in this book, yeah, yeah, that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, We're coming up to quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And her book seven stuff is, is good. And yeah. It's just kind of interesting to... The more I think about it, the more comparisons I'm drawing between all four of the champions of their just innate who they are. Well, maybe that's the magic of the goblet. Like, maybe whoever made the goblet and chanted the goblet to pull the champions' names, maybe it was given certain criteria. I'm kind of assuming it's similar to the sorting hat, where, like, whoever enchanted it you know, like, obviously, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, and Hufflepuff told them, like, these are the characteristics to look for for my house. Sure. So I think the goblet was probably told to look for, so like, strong, strong will. Mind. Strong yeah. will has to be part of it, right? Yeah, I definitely think that. So, but anyway, wow, we just went on another long tangent. Do you have anything else from... <laughs> um, okay, I can make them real fast. First, I freaking love the magical Tinder idea. Mm. I tried so hard to come up with a good name for it, and all I could 
come up with MuggleNet already used and it was <laughs> swish and click. Uh, I liked Elizabeth came up with charmed. Oh, that's, that's that's sweet. I like that. It's a that's good one. Good. But yeah, I liked that. I want to go on record uh, that I agree with Jen in that Voldemort was scared of Dumbledore and also that Snape is not redeemable. I'm on board with her for both of those. Talking about opinions. characters that deserve like one single episode. The Snape, just the, not even Snape, just Snape redemption can be like a whole, a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's redeemable at all. I always believed he was loyal and that he was, you know, going to stay on. I'm actually split on that, uh, which we can get to on a later episode. Yeah. I was going to say, but, we don't have to like go in depth about it. I just wanted to be on record as agreeing with her. Okay. And then I just have to put out there, I have a whole new headcanon <laughs> from the conversation that you and Aaron had about the second year and the fifth year, who asked Harry to the Yule Ball and Half-Blood Prince. We meet the very interesting character of Romilda Vane. We do. We find out in Harry's sixth year, she is in her fourth year, which means in Harry's fourth year, <laughs> She was in her second year. I totally think Romilda Vane is the second year who asked Harry to the Oval. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, it would track that she would have the guts to do exactly. it. As a second year, as a 12-year-old. Exactly. And Harry's not going to remember her. Probably not. <laughs> no, no. Those, it's totally my new headcanon. It makes me really I would happy. make that my new headcanon, too. I would totally buy into it that. It was so great. I would totally yes. buy that. Yes. Look at us agreeing on something. It's great. <laughs> We did pretty good this episode. We did pretty good. We didn't go as hard into, uh, you know, Cedric and some of the other things, because we have butted heads on that before. That's but, true. Uh, no, I... We, let's... One of the previous episodes, you actually were actively making me dislike him more when you were spouting your love of him, but that's okay. But that's us, because... <laughs> that it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I picked an infallible argument that's perfect, but it was me and I spouted it yeah. mostly... You would find some flaw in it and I come will. at me hard. So I mean that's and that's why Josh likes you as a guest. You're so. welcome. <laughs> Let's end on an agreement of Ramilda Vane as a second year, and uh, we will end it here. Thank you ever for listening and uh, from all of our countries around the world. Let us know uh, what you thought of this episode with likes, comments, reviews on where you're listening. That really helps us out on Spotify. I know a lot of our listeners go through Spotify, so. Give us that review. Give us a comment and a like. That would be really, really important. So thank you all. And we will be back next week with a very interesting episode, Chapter 25, The Egg and the Eye. So we will be back then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.